Nintendo. Back with you, it's another edition of the Degenerate Hawkeyes podcast. Trent and Biz talking the world of the Hawkeyes with you. The coldness uh, starting to hopefully dissipate here in the coming days. And with it, hopefully a little better basketball from the Iowa basketball team. After back-to-back losses since we last talked, a home loss to Michigan State and a road loss to Minnesota and Biz. People are fired up. Another week, another uh, turn on the roller coaster. Uh, you know, like I said before, being an Iowa fan is, is never dull, Trent. So, yeah, obviously it's frustrating when you lose two in a row, but uh, I really don't get the uh, the hand wringing from our uh, fan base. People were, uh, I saw there was a there's even articles uh, out there about uh, Fran needs to go all of a sudden. So, uh, yeah, a week ago we were on a five game winning streak, but apparently uh, things turned quickly. So. Yeah, you know, I, I don't know. I guess I'm not nearly as uh, worried as, as apparently some of our fan base is. I think this is still uh, a good team that can do some good things, but obviously they've uh, they regressed to some uh, poor defensive habits over the last uh, 55 minutes of game time. But uh, you know, I, there's still more good than bad about this team. I, I don't think there's any doubt in. I guess in a way you can understand it. You know, as a fan base, as a whole, people are maybe a little gun-shy. How excited to get about the team? How many times in the past that excitement's got up there? I mean, you go back to the team that got ranked as high as number three in the country, and then the collapse happened at the end of the season. And so, in a way, people just waiting for that other shoe to drop. And, you know, another big component, Biz, and I've been – Maybe my eyes have been opened up a little bit more with my change over here to KXNO, but I've been really surprised. There is there's a lot more blowback, at least here in central Iowa, to Fran McCaffrey from Iowa fans than I was anticipating. And I, short of a big-time run, I think there's a big portion, a much bigger portion of the fan base that can't ever get behind Fran unless they make that big kind of jump. I, I, I've been a little bit surprised by that. Yeah, there's definitely a, a pretty passionate uh, group of the Iowa fan base that's starting to lose uh, lose faith in him, and, and I'm not there yet. But you know, certainly his his leash has uh, gotten smaller than it was in the past. I think people are starting to uh, realize that we're in what year eight or year nine. It's time to really uh, turn the corner and, and keep it turned because. Uh, I think people just get frustrated with the ups and downs of this team, and you know, I think a lot of the angst just comes from the, the just complete lack of defense. Because you know, obviously, there were some good things to take away. Michigan State game, we played great basketball for 25 minutes, and you know, the Minnesota game, I don't know. I mean, you're going on the road against an above-average opponent, and, and you had a chance to win with a couple minutes to go. It's not it's not the end of the world that we lost that game, but I think it's what frustrates people more than anything is the way we lost those games because you know. When you when you just don't play any defense at all, it's pretty easy to to think back to last year and think how just frustrating that was. And this year, even more frustrating because this team's shown they're they're capable of playing defense. I mean, last year they just wasn't they just weren't capable of playing defense, and and they are they were what they were. But this year, we've shown stretches, and Michigan State's a perfect example. I mean, they played great defense for twenty three twenty four minutes, and then and then the wheels fell off. So. You know, they've reverted to some bad habits, which uh, you know I think that's what gets people uh, fired up more than anything. 
And, and in the first half against Minnesota, it was dreadful. Michigan State is one thing to have it happen in that fashion to Minnesota. I think that was another frustrating component. It wasn't the loss. It was the way the loss happened, kind of like you mentioned there, Biz. And, and to get blown out like that in the first half and to play offensively a, a really good first half of the game, but find yourself double digits and frustrations certainly came out in that one. But when you look at these individually, and you really when you look at the five losses, you lose to Wisconsin, Michigan State twice, Purdue, and on the road at Minnesota. These aren't bad losses. These aren't losses that are that are going to hurt you come NCAA selection time. I, I guess the concern remains where the good wins going to come from, and and if this is going to be or if it is an NCAA tournament, if they're in the standard seven to ten seed range and. You win a game, but you know what happens in the round of 32. So I guess that's another component that sits there. But I don't know why people are, are freaking out about this loss. This is a talented Minnesota team. Have they been inconsistent? Absolutely. I think it has a lot to do with their their coach, Rick, Ricky Pitino, who isn't very good. But Amir Coffey, Jordan Murphy, those are talented, talented guys. I, I, I don't understand the angst about this loss. I don't either. I'm right there with you. I think, like I said, I think most of the angst just—it's not necessarily that we lost; it's the way we lost. I mean, it's just—it's just not pretty basketball. You're just, you know, not putting putting up any resistance whatsoever on the defensive end. Because I agree with you, Minnesota is a uh, can be a pretty good team, but I mean, they scored any way they wanted to. If they wanted to score in the post, they did. If they got wanted to get a wide open look. Uh, our top, they moved the ball around a little bit. I mean, in fact, they were making shots. That I'm pretty confident you could have shot 40% from three-point range <laughs> that game because there wasn't people within five feet of some of the shooters. So, you know, to me, it's. I think people just get that here-we-go-again feeling. And, and you've talked about it in the past, the, uh, the, the February Fran fade, which the good news is, Trent, I don't know if you read the article, but uh, Chad Leistikow uh, – proved in his article, I think, yesterday, that that Fran fade is, is a myth. A myth. Yeah, did you see the article? Well, uh, I perused it. I don't think I read that deep into it. So it's well, a myth, he, huh? Yeah, well, he broke down all of Fran's uh, years, and actually Fran's teams have performed better in the second half of the Big Ten seasons than they have in the, in the first half. And, you know, obviously we talk about the Fran fade for – because of the two brutal years, you know, the 2013-14 year, really good team that, that lost seven of eight, and then 2015-16, another really good team that lost six of eight. So those are the two that get the headlines, but the other years we actually improved as a team and got better as the year went on. So uh, we, we can't we can't fall into the uh, bad habit of claiming a fade is coming, Trent, because uh, you look at the, rec- the, the schedule we've got coming up and you look at some of the positives we have uh, i'm still very optimistic i'm not ready to uh you know get all fired up like some of the fan base is i i, I like this team and i think they can still they can still finish at 500 or above in the big 10 losing five of six in 2014 losing uh down the stretch in 16 down the 17 last year they were terrible down the stretch i, I don't think it's a myth i, I think last laced cows out of bounds here i think he's dead wrong but uh, uh, alas, here we are, and uh, we'll get into that a little bit deeper maybe another time because we have another day before we flip the calendar, and tomorrow it will be February, and it's Michigan on tap. Consi- are, you, are you optimistic? Well, you know, I wasn't optimistic until I put Stat Boy on the, uh, on the job for this week, Trent, but Stat Boy found some good information that I think we all should be optimistic for tomorrow. Do you want to uh, 
You want to break down the matchup uh, for tomorrow's game a little bit with uh, some Stat Boy information? Let's do it. So my, my my assignment for Stat Boy was pretty simple. Let's just dig into how John Beeline has done in, in Carver-Hawkeye over the years. And, and I knew we'd done okay against him, but I was surprised. that we, We've done even better than I thought. So uh, you ready to jump in the time machine and, and break down the last uh, decade of battles against uh, Beeline and the Wolverines? Well, okay, we can do this, absolutely. All right, well, we are 5-4 and four against John Beeline at Carver, but uh, the good news is since we actually returned to uh, being a respectable basketball program, uh, we're 4-1. Uh, Fran is 4-1 against Beeline and Carver uh, since 2012, and in fact, we had won four in a row against the Wolverines at home until last year. So uh, when you break it down, you look at it, every year that we've had a uh, a, a above-average basketball team, we have beat Beeline and Carver. So there's some optimism. Let's look at these nine games a little bit, and I'll show you why there's some optimism going ready for tomorrow. So get ready ready to bet big on the Hawks, Trent. (laughs) You know I'll be betting. There's no doubt about that. Well, exactly. I'm going to sway your bet in the next five minutes. You ready? I'm ready. All right. So the first two years, we can just lump them in and just call them the Licklider years. So, uh... Actually, Licklider actually won one of the two games. But this is when Beeline was starting out, and they were brutal. So, 08, we lost by eight to a Michigan team that came into Carver and was six and 17. So, uh, that tells you just how bad we were. Um, the highlight of that game is that Justin Johnson went three for 13, all of them from three point range. Didn't take a single two, but launched three, 13 threes in a losing effort for the Hawks. So, not a, not a good start, but uh, again, Mick is your coach, so these don't really count. So, <laughs> the next year at, at Carver, 2009, we beat them in overtime. But uh, one of the most phenomenal box scores you'll ever see, and this shows you just how how little depth and little talent we had at, at the end of the Clatter era. You ready to uh, ready to have your mind blown, Trent? <laughs> Let's do it. We won in overtime that year. So there was 45 minutes played, obviously, in the game. You want to take a guess how many bench minutes the Hawks had in that game? How many, how many minutes off the bench were played in an overtime game? 22. Seven. <laughs> Seven minutes off the bench. Four of our five starters played the entire 45 minutes, um, and the only one that didn't, Jared Cole, had four fouls. So I assume the only reason he didn't play the 45 minutes was foul trouble. So... Aaron Fuller, Matt Gaten, Jake Kelly, and the legendary Devin Bowwinkle all played 45 minutes in that game. Uh, Jake Kelly made the most of his 45 minutes. He almost had a triple-double, 23 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists. So uh, we beat a very bad Michigan team, but uh, it was basically Ironman basketball. We, we played 7 minutes of bench play in, in an overtime game. Seven minutes. Incredible. Well, when you got Devin Ballwinkle, you got to get that guy 45 minutes. He was a yeah, complete it's ball player. Get, it's, it's hard to get him off the court, Chad. Uh, he, he just did so many things so well. that uh, you know, An uh, all-around talent that you had to keep him on the court for all 45 minutes. All right. So we got that. Well, what else? Fortunately, we, we get through the Lickletter years at that point. The early Fran years, uh, two years in a row, almost identical games. We, we lost in overtime two years in a row. Lost by two one year and lost by three uh, the next year. So uh, that's the end of uh, Beeline beating the Hawks, though. Because our next four games, we win all four of them, and they were all four uh, against good 
Michigan teams, and three of the four, we, uh, we beat them by double digits. So 2012, we went 75-59 over a number 13 Michigan team. 2014, we went 85-67 over a number 10 Michigan team. 2016, we went 82-71 against the 23rd-ranked Michigan team. And then 2017, our Big Ten opener, we won in overtime, 86-83. So uh, all four of those teams, good Michigan teams and uh, good Iowa teams, and we beat them all four years. So, like I said, it gives you some optimism that maybe uh, maybe we've got their number a little bit at Carver. So we'll, we'll ignore the fact that we lost last year's game because uh, we lost pretty much every game last year. But uh, we've won four out of the last five. And up until last year, we hadn't lost a, a game in regulation to a uh, beeline since 2008. So, uh, like I said, get ready to, uh, to bet big on the Hawks, especially if Michigan is favored by uh, by four or more, because we haven't lost by more than four to Michigan at Carver in uh, in 11 years. So, so I like our odds, Trent. So I talk you into betting them, Mister Sunshine. Checking in here, no, yeah. no, uh, because John Beeline. He looked at his weakness, and his weakness certainly throughout the years was defensively. Always a very good basketball team as it pertained to what they could do on the offense and the floor, very efficient. But year after year, they were terrible defensively. They throw the 1-3-1 at you, and they get some steals out of it, some traps. In some games, teams wouldn't shoot well, but overall, that was a bad defensive team. So instead of just saying, we're going to fix this because I'm John Beeline and I'm a Hall of Famer, he actually went out and hired somebody they knew what they were doing, and well, a year ago they're playing for a national championship. This year they're ranked in the top five nationally. They're 0-3 since uh, he made that change. So, no, I will be on the Wolverines tomorrow. So you're saying uh, you, you're allowed to uh, find your weaknesses uh, and adjust accordingly? That, that, that's quite a, quite a novel concept, right? It is. It absolutely is something that I've been uh, beating the drum about for many, many years, but... Here we are, and uh, certainly doesn't appear like anything's going to be changing anytime soon on the Iowa front of things. Would you be a proponent of that for Fran this year? Let's say they, they do kind of the standard. They go, they win a game, they lose in the round of 32, get blown out by somebody good. Would you be ready for him to fire somebody, ask somebody to move on and, and to go out, or just run it back again? Oh, I don't know if I'm ever a proponent for, for firing anyone, but uh, at some point I think he's going to start getting some pressure from uh, from up top to, to make some adjustments if we don't uh, if we don't take a step forward. So, you know, there's something to be said about continuity. Uh, I like the fact that you have a, uh, you know, you haven't had a ton of turnover, but uh, I think things have gotten a little stale, and, and it wouldn't surprise me to see a, uh, an adjustment coming down the road because uh, uh, unfortunately I don't I don't see anybody uh, beating down our door to come come hire any of our assistants. So if there is a change, it's probably going to have to be on the on the firing side and not because uh, somebody went and uh, moved up the ladder. Well, the point spread is out for tomorrow. Got a guess? Uh, Michigan State was there by five and a half. Um, I, I don't think. Vegas likes Michigan quite as much as Michigan State. So give me the Wolverines three and a half. Michigan by three. How about we'll take it a step further? What's the total in the game? Well, right around one, 148, let's go with. 143 and a half, a little bit lower. Maybe they're expecting that Hawkeye D to show up. Well, you know, for the most part, we've played pretty good D at home. I mean, obviously, 
when the wheels fell off at Michigan State, they didn't. But you look back, I and mean, we played Wisconsin game. We played good D. We just couldn't make shots. Ohio State game, we played good D. North Nebraska game, we played decent defense. Iowa State game, we played very good defense. Uh, Pitt game, good defense, and they've 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 showed up to play defense at home most games. So uh, I, I'm I'm very optimistic that we will get to see our best effort tomorrow. Uh, I'm just worried, like the Michigan State game, that our best effort might not be good enough against uh, a well-oiled machine like Michigan because uh, they're just. Yeah, again, they're like Michigan State. They're just a really good team, and I'm not sure we're good enough to beat them, even if we play well. Yeah, uh, well, here we go. Uh, line it up, and if it doesn't happen there, then it is a Sunday road trip to an Indiana squad that is struggling big time. So, uh, I guess the law of averages, you got to figure the Hoosiers got to figure it out at some point. But they have lost now seven straight, including losses to Rutgers, Northwestern, Nebraska. Not exactly who's who in there. Of course, a couple of those losses also came to Michigan, but there's ever a time to go, I guess, to Assembly Hall. It appears maybe I was found the right time. Well, and by the time we go to Assembly Hall, they're going to have lost eight straight because they, they played Michigan State at Michigan State mm-hmm. before us. So yeah. uh, let, let's hope they've officially packed it in by next week. So, But before we move on from Michigan, uh, there is a, a stat boy bonus to add because uh, it wouldn't be stat boy if he didn't overperform in his assignment. So you're ready to jump way back in the time machine before we uh, before we bring it back to a modern day. Let's do it. All right. So stat boy, of course, I asked him for the beeline years, but but he randomly sent me the information on the 1989 Iowa-Michigan game at Carver, which. Uh, it's a fun uh, box score to look at because the, the talent on the court was absolutely insane. So Michigan beat us 108-107 in double overtime. But my quiz question to you, Trent, can you name seven of the ten starters in that 1989 game? The 1989 game, well, three are easy. B.J. Armstrong, Roy Marble, Ed Horton. Correct. Can you name the other two Iowa starters? The other one, two... One, one went on to play in the NBA pretty regularly. The other one did not graduate from Iowa. Ray Thompson? Ray Thompson is correct. And the other one uh, was a pretty regular NBA contributor for a few years. Well, was it... Was it Bullard? It was Bullard, correct. Okay. You're five for five. That means you only you only have to get two on the Michigan side, Trent. should be very easy. All right, Ramil Robinson, Glenn Rice... There you go. There's seven. Can you get the other? I think you can get the other three. Gary Grant? No, Grant was not there. Not there. Um, Roy Tarpley? No, no. He was he was gone by then. Lloyd Vaught? Lloyd Vaught is one. There's another big guy you should be able to get and, and another guard. You'll know both names when I say them. Oh, uh, Terry Mills? Terry Mills is correct. And the last one, a, a sharpshooting guard. Sharp shooting guard. I got nothing. Sean Higgins was the tenth oh, one. So, uh, well, that is some insane talent on the court in that game. And uh, apparently, uh, defense was optional in the one hundred eight one hundred seven loss. I guess so. Oh, fun one. Uh, maybe we'll see a fun one. Probably not going to be the same kind of scoring in that one. I guess. I, I highly doubtful. So it would need about 10 overtimes, I think, for that. So, But the other tidbit that, that Stat Boy sent from the 1989 game, and I do not remember this at all, there was an article the same day as that game, big news had come out right around then, that apparently it had been leaked that Roy Marble, Ed Horton, and Curtis Cuthbert, all three 
had been sent to a drug rehabilitation treatment facility over the off-season. That Marble had went to a facility in West Palm Beach, Florida, and that Horton had went to a facility in Minnesota, and that the University of Iowa had paid over $16,000 to send them to a to drug rehab. Do you remember that at all? I, I mean, I just, all I remember was the, what I thought were rumors about Marble. I, I guess. Yeah, that's, well, and, and Roy clearly had his problems when he went to the NBA, but I, I do not remember there actually being a, uh, like, I mean, and it, from the article, it was sound like it was definitely confirmed that they had been, went to the uh, drug rehab facility on, on the university's dime. So, Huh. Well, yeah, I, that that is news to me. And, uh, <laughs> Can you imagine if that was a story uh, today? I oh. mean, it would be a uh, outside yeah, the lines a, would a, be there. A little more memorable, that's for sure. There's no doubt, no doubt about that one. Well, things uh, certainly didn't end very well for Iowa that season. That was the year that the careers came to de- to a head uh, for BJ Roy and Ed against NC State and stupid uh, Rodney Monroe and Chris Corciani. Uh, not that I'm bitter about that game, but uh, I'll, I will never forgive Dr. Tom Davis for deciding that. Midway through his senior year, let's move B.J. Armstrong to the uh, the shooting guard so we can we can get Brian Garner some extra minutes at point guard. So I still remember watching Brian Garner attempt to uh, facilitate the offense against NC State. So not, not that I'm bitter about that at all. Trevor. Well, and I'm more bitter of uh, Hunter Rawlings and his decision not to let Ray Thompson, though eligible by Iowa and Big Ten standards, oh Big Ten standards, not eligible for Hunter Rawlings standards. And Ray Thompson was a, such a stud. Well, Hunter was also quoted in the 1989 article about the drug treatment, which uh, was the beginning of the end of his uh, his reign of power at the University of Iowa. Thank goodness for that. Didn't come too soon, though, unfortunately. All right, Biz, uh, what else we got for today? Well, do you want do you want a stat boy double bonus? Oh. <laughs> Bring it. Well, so he kept going, and he decided, didn't ask him to do this, but, you know, Michigan's in the top five in the AP. So he went ahead and just did his additional research and determined that we are 9-13 and 13 all time at Carver against top five teams. Uh, unfortunately, Fran is only 1-5, and the only win he had was against Michigan State a few years back. But uh, Dr. Tom dominated. Dr. Tom was 7-3 and three against uh, top five teams at Carver, including uh, – the well-known 1993 game against Michigan, uh, the first home game after Chris Street's passing. So uh, uh, that was the last time we played a, a top-five Michigan team at home in 1993. So let, let's hope uh, we have a two-game winning streak against top-five Michigan teams uh, come uh, 8 p.m. tomorrow night. That would be good, no doubt. That would be good. All right, Biz, from there, let's uh, let's move past you brought up something uh, with this team and guard issues. Where, where were you heading on in this one? Well, I just—I don't know if you, you saw. Or I think I maybe even texted everybody in our group. But did you see what Bohannon, Weeskamp, and Connor have shot over the last two basketball games? Oh, it's hideous. Yes, Ooh, five for twenty-four, and in the last game, the Minnesota game, Jabo didn't take a single three-pointer. That just can't happen. I mean. He has to understand his role on this team. His role on this team is to shoot the basketball. And if he's not going to be out there shooting the basketball, uh, then we're in trouble because Connor McCaffrey is going to come in and he certainly is not going to shoot the basketball. And so you basically you have two guys, two of your guards, that won't even look at the hoop. So whatever is whatever is issues right now, he needs to fix them and fix them quickly because unless the guard play improves uh, – uh, this team ain't going ain't, ain't going very far come March. 
No, it's not. You know, Connor, never a great shooter, though his percentage was fine by his senior year of high school from three-point range. He's never he's never going to be confused with Chris Corciani or Roddy Monroe. But you got to at least attempt some shots from out there, right? Is it is it a confidence deal? What what do you think's happening there? Oh, I think he, he just he, he's such a facilitator that I think he thinks of himself as the uh, the fifth option on the court, which he's probably right. But occasionally you got to shoot one just to keep people honest. But you know, to me, Connor McCaffrey is somebody that should be playing ten minutes a game right now. I love Connor McCaffrey. I think he's got a chance to be to be really good down the road. But but he's not somebody that should be playing twenty twenty five minutes right now just because he doesn't have the confidence to look for his shot. Uh, ideally, j should be playing 30 and he should be playing 10, but uh, when j is not looking to shoot, you, you can't play him because he's a defensive liability and he's he's not doing anything else right now. So, like I said before, I, I'd rather j go go 2 for 12 than 2 for 4 because at least at 2 for 12, you know he was he was looking for his shot and he was, mm-hmm. you know, he, he was at least being aggressive because to me, this team's totally different when you have an aggressive j and and you know, unfortunately, it's anybody's guess whether that aggressive J-Bow is going to show up or not. You know, as a freshman, he was a totally different player as far as aggression. And, and I don't know what happened, but uh, it needs to get fixed if we're going to go anywhere. Need to be better on that side of things. Inside, they've been fine, and uh, they can do that. This is going to be a tournament team at the very least. And really, that was a realistic hope coming into the season, that that's what they were going to be, get back to the tournament and build from there. And you got to be hopeful that's going to be the case here. But uh, big start here against Michigan tomorrow night, and Biz is betting on the Hawkeyes. All right, speaking of bets, we got the Super Bowl. Before we get into some of the props that, uh, well, Stat Boy went all out again. Stat Boy part five of (laughs) of the podcast. The guy, uh, we really should get him a a gift card or something. He's putting in in a lot of hours per week. Yeoman's work out of him. But uh, first, Super Bowl memories. Biz, my first ever Super Bowl memory is probably the brightest one for me as a Bears fan, 1985. Got to go up to uh, the tavern my parents ended up owning. My aunt and uncle, great aunt and uncle, owned it at the time. It was closed, but they opened it up for the Super Bowl and in lovely New Haven, Iowa. Watched the Bears throttle the New England Patriots. One of my first football memories is uh, way back as a kindergartner. That was the good times, and it's been, a uh, frankly, downhill since then for Bears fans out there. But that was my first memory, and, and with it, Probably one of my best. Well, my my first one was actually pretty similar because uh, I remember really the first football game I even truly remember was was the Rams being in the Super Bowl against the Steelers when I was when I was four years old. And uh, the sole reason I liked the Rams is because they had really sweet uniforms. <laughs> and, and the good news, uh, Stat Boy has reported they will be going back to the uh, really sweet uniforms uh, on Sunday, which uh, look good, play good, Trent, because. Uh, the Rams have two options for uniforms, either the uh, some of the best uniforms in sports or some of the most completely hideous ones. So uh, I'm glad they picked the right ones. They're going with the uh, the old school unis on Sunday, which uh, gives me at least some uh, false hope that they have a chance. The Royal Blues with the gold. Oh, that is a sharp look. Looking forward to that. Trying to think back, uh, well, with New England now playing in their ninth Super Bowl, under Tom Brady. My first ever uh, watching of them in the Super Bowl came in beautiful St. Cloud, Minnesota. I was up there visiting Rick's for some godforsaken reason and uh, had a Saturday night in St. Cloud along with the Sunday. So that was my first ever 
uh, trip up there to to the hinterlands of northern Minnesota, and of course it was Rick, so we had a good time. Well, the, the good news about Patriot Super Bowls is uh, you can hate them or love them, but they're all competitive. I mean, that would Stat Boy show us that the the eight Super Bowls that Tom Brady and Belichick have been in, uh, not a single game has been been decided by more than a touchdown. I think the highest margin was eight points, and uh, four of the eight have been been three points or less. So, uh, should be a good ball game, and uh, yeah. Again, you either hate or love the Patriots, but but they're a uh, they're fun to watch because not many people are in the middle of the road when it comes to watching the Pats. You either despise them or you love them. Well, find a side that you like and then tease them up, uh, tease your Rams up and get them up to eight and a half. You, you're going to be right inside that number. It's an automatic win, right? Yeah, exactly. So I think that's how it works. Uh, all right, so Statboy sent us some, some bizarre bets that he was able to uh, – to find from from perusing a bunch of different websites, which of his bizarre bets are you going to be actually jumping on? Oh, I haven't dug that deep into what he has had. I got my own. Well, I like the one he sent that I think. So he sent us some some background information on all of these, and the one bet I actually really like is that you can actually bet on now that the the uh, extra points have been moved back. Uh, you can bet on will there be a missed extra point, and you got you got to actually lay some odds, obviously. But you can get three to one odds on no, and and I really like uh, the no bet, as he showed in his information. The uh, average kicker in the NFL has been like eighty-seven percent on extra points is all over the last couple of years. But but Zerline and Gaskowski are pretty much automatic; they're both at ninety-seven percent. So if you're willing to let to lay three to one odds, you can. Uh, get some excitement on the extra points to the Super Bowl. That's always a good thing. Like to jump on that one. How about this? The national anthem. How long will it take Gladys Knight to sing it? The over. Gladys, Gladys Knight is singing the national anthem. She is 74 years young. One, will, the, will, the pit, will, will the pits be involved? I don't think they made the cut. I don't oh, even know if they're still funny. alive. Under 147 plus 135 over minus 175. Now, if you look, there is a YouTube video of her singing the national anthem, and she does it in about 90 seconds. I think there'll be some more pomp and circumstance in this one, though. I think uh, I, I don't know what's going on there. I, I think I'm going to be on the overside of that one. I was taking a look back at the last 15 national anthems sung, and I like the over on that one. Uh, how about this? You could also bet on will Gladys Knight be wearing a skirt, dress, or gown to sing? Wow, that's... Uh... That's a lot of info. I, I feel like 147, I feel like past perform, performers have gone well over that amount. That, that seems low to me. So if I had if I had the money to burn and I really wanted to bet on the national anthem, I'd take the over, Trent. Billy Joel was the quickest over the last 15 years. That was right at 90 seconds. Uh, there's How been do you a, have this information at your disposal immediately? I, I am wagering at a heavy, heavy level. It's a Super Bowl. <laughs> It's the Super Bowl. you got to dig into this stuff. Uh, there's all kinds of great things. Will Gladys Knight forget or admit a word? No, minus 500. The yes, plus 300. I might be jumping on the yes on that one. She, that she, seems like something you could arbitrarily argue either way. Yes. Uh, rarely does every word get pronounced uh, perfectly. Uh, I think you could always argue that she uh, mispronounced a word somewhere in there. I think I'll be uh, probably uh, on the chat come Monday morning with 
with my friends in the Caribbean talking about that one. If, if you if you need your lawyer for that, let me know, Trent. Okay, okay. I don't I don't think I can I don't think I can afford uh, things right now with a broken water pipe to pay you and pay any lawyers though. Well, I, I, you, I can just put me on retainer. Okay. I believe Rick's is my only uh, client on retainer right now, so just uh, I'm, I'm happy to, to 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 add you to the list. How about this? How many times? I think this is a lock. How many times will the broadcast mention Sean McVay's age? Over, under, one and a half. Now, it's heavy juice. Minus 270 on the over, but they're going to mention, right, that he's 33 more than one time. So do they have to actually say 33, or do they just have to say that he's young? Here's the cap. if they say 33, uh, that would be a – I feel like they're going to say 33 one time and, and then just talk in general terms after that. Now it serves must mention that he is 33 to count. I think I like the under then. I think wow. they'll say 33 once and then go with more of a, more, more of a general uh, young coach theme after that. Well, they'll, they'll say it one time, 33-year-old Sean McVay, and then there'll be another time they'll put him and Belichick side by side. Belichick 66, doubling up McVay at 33. I, I think two is a victory there. All right. Let's see what else we got here. There's all. Oh, this is another one of my favorites. Total Donald Trump Trump tweets on February third. The over under is six. Well, I'm proud to say, Trent, I, I have never and never will follow him on Twitter. So I don't know how many times he, he tweets regularly, but uh, six seems low. It seems like uh, just from all the gibberish that you hear from him, that it seems like he's tweeting more than six times a day on a regular day. So. Uh, 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 seems like uh, let's go with the over on that. Here's another one. Now, this is one that is going to pay off uh, come football season next year. What will Tony Romo be doing at the start of next NFL season? TV analyst, minus 500. Playing in the NFL, 3-1. to one. A defensive coordinator, 16-1. to one, Or an offensive coordinator, 5-1. to one. He's a TV analysis, analyst. He, he's not going to be doing anything else. I mean, it's minus 500, but it's free money. Uh, I, I would agree with that, but I, I will say uh, I could see a team solely based on his uh, ability to predict things, uh, having a team be dumb enough to just literally hire him as a head coach down the road. I mean, if NFL teams are so desperate that they're willing to hire a uh, a failed Big 12 coach as an offensive coordinator, uh, they're certainly dumb enough to hire a uh, a successful quarterback who's shown to be a successful analyst as a head coach. So, uh I think he will hold out, but I could see a team dumb enough a couple of years down the road to just be like, let's hire him as our head coach because uh, he certainly has you know, more NFL credentials than, uh, um, well, what's his name, the Texas Tech head coach, Kingsbury. Cliff Kingsbury. So, uh, I mean, it's baffling. So they're, they're certainly, the NFL is certainly looking to find young, hip uh, Sean McVay clones, and he certainly seems to be kind of along those lines. That's another one that seems like free money. Speaking of your your president, Donald Trump, what will the Super Bowl champions be served when they visit the White House? Fast food plus 210, any other food minus 320. That implies that they actually will uh, they will visit the White House, so which I think is, is iffy at best. So. Of course, uh, get goofier and goofier the deeper that we go into some of these. Will CBS show Kent State, Miami of Ohio highlights going back to uh, Sean McVay in his time playing in the Mac and Julian Edelman uh, on the other side of things. Video highlights, you expect that? 
Uh, I expect video highlights, but I think they're going to be his high school highlights because didn't uh, he go to school like right near where the Super Bowl is? Oh, I, I think, I think they right. will show some of Georgia high school highlights is, is my pick, Trent. Oh, I, I don't see that prop in here. I can't help you out on that one. Well, either kick or hit the upright or crossbar. Yes is plus 350. You're going to bet all these, aren't you? I might. Man, that's uh, so. So the Stat Boy's uh, info, if you look at it, was more – mainstream and and stat boy what he did he, he dug in and uh really found some uh meat behind all of his bets so do you want to run through real quick which bets he is he actually suggests that we do yeah yeah fire fire through these all right so he likes the rams plus two and a half there's multiple websites that, that back that up based mostly on their defense um he likes the over 56 and a half he likes the first quarter under in 10 and a half because uh Rarely does the Super Bowl get off to a quick start, he found out. Um, he, he likes total field goals made of over three and a half because Sean McVay uh, teams have attempted the most field goals in, in the NFL the last two years. He likes the no on the missed extra point, and he likes the yes on one of the teams scoring three straight times. So uh, there, there's your stat boy info for our readers if they want to go out and uh, throw some money around uh, for uh, this Sunday. Step boys research probably a lot more investigation than than what I do. I just uh, I go by feel, and that has not worked out very well throughout the years. Well, I, I'm assuming or hoping he will uh, tweet out his uh, his information to back up the, his uh, lock solid picks. Yeah, find find him at Bookish, B U C H E I S is where you can find Stat Boy and his information, or you can uh, follow the Hawkeye Super Contest. Maybe he'll be sending out some ones there at a Hawkeye Super C on Twitter. Biz, how about you? I, I, I feel like he should be uh, making an official Stat Boy account at this point. Yeah, he's got a lot of information. There's, I just found another stupid one. You ready for this? Yes. Uh, the Puppy Bowl. Puppy Bowl 15. Ooh, my, my kids love the Puppy Bowl. I, I actually might bet this one because my kids would probably be all in. Okay, so we got uh, three different props here. The age of the MVP over under is 17 and a half weeks. The first letter of the MVP's name, A through N or O through Z. And you can also bet on the spread. Team Rough is the favorite over Team Puff, minus seven and a half. Having, having watched the Puppy Bowl over the years, I really <laughs> like the over 17 and a half weeks. Okay. If you watch that, some of those dogs are borderline not puppies. There's some, some older dogs in there. So uh, I don't think they have many, uh, many young pups in the, in the field. I think they've got... Uh, a lot of uh, a lot of twenty twenty five month old dogs in there, or twenty twenty five week old dogs. So uh, give me the over on that, and uh, find out what my max bet can be on that. Maybe the most crude one on the puppy bowl. Well, Michael Vick tweet about the puppy bowl. Yes, is fifteen to one. <laughs> That's just not right. No is off the board. You can only bet yes on that one. Probably makes sense. Uh, well, make sure you're following Mike Vick's tw- Twitter account on Sunday to find the answer to that trend. Oh, where do these people come up with it? Well, I told you last week I like Todd Gurley at 12-1. to 1. He's down now to 10-1, to 1, uh, one of the sites that I'm looking at right now for MVP. Uh, I had a middling opportunity that I fired at. I had the over at 57.5 rushing yards and the under at 72.5 at another one. So I'm looking for a middle there. And I will be betting on everything from Gladys Knight to Michael Vick and everything in between come Sunday. I'll, I'll make sure to throw out my bets on Sunday on Twitter, too, 
at Trent Condon is where you can find me. Sadly, Trent, as a Rams fan, I think my only bet I really like is the Patriots minus two and a half. I just don't see this being a a Rams victory. I think they're a good team, but they're they've got a lot of flaws, and I think Belichick will expose a few of those flaws and. I, I think it'll be a relatively close game because I don't think this is a great Patriots team either. But uh, unfortunately, I like the Pats minus two and a half, which uh, hopefully I'm wrong, and uh, I'll, I'll happily uh, pay out the three of the Super Bowl. The term that I throw around probably too much is value. I think there is value on the Rams. I certainly think there's value on the Rams. If you get them at minus three, I know there's juice that goes along with it, a lot of minus 120s if you do find a three. Out there, you're not getting the normal minus 110, but I think I'll probably be on the Rams come Sunday. I, I believe that'll be the case. I really do like the under in the first quarter. You mentioned the slow starts. I, I think that's a key one to jump on. In fact, last year was the first year that Tom Brady's uh, Patriots had ever scored a touchdown in the first quarter of a Super Bowl game, which is just unfathomable. But uh, that that is uh, talking about those slow starts. Ball control, I can certainly see that, and uh, I like the under in the first quarter. So, I'll be on the Rams, I'll be on the under the first quarter, and then I'll have a whole lot more to go along with it. And uh, I hope you're smiling and wearing your Eric Dickerson uh, jersey to, to de- desposi- uh, dip- what's it called? Despositions? Depositions. Depositions. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer. I hope you're wearing your Dickerson jersey to that. Again, I try, we clarify this before. I don't, I don't have a Dickerson. I have a Jerome Bettis. Oh, that's right. By the, by, by the time, Dick, by the time uh, I got old enough to be able to... Uh, afford or, or ask for a, 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 a jersey, uh, Bettis had taken over for, for uh, Dickerson. The, the biz guards didn't have a lot of money to be, uh, be throwing around on jerseys growing up. So, Well, maybe, just maybe, that could be a present for you down the line, especially if Mike Vick's tr- uh, tweeting, about the, tweeting about the puppy bowl. Well, I'm 99% sure that my, uh, my parents still have the Bettis jersey, so I may have to, uh, may have to find out if they can dig that out of storage before Sunday. FedEx it to you, and you'll be good to go. All right, Biz. Well, with that, we're just about finished here. Before we leave, though, time once again for Biz's Beat. Hey, kids, gather around for Biz's Beat of the Day. Okay, here's Biz's Beat of the Day. I don't know if you saw it today, but today is Jackie Robinson's 100th birthday. So, uh... My, my business beat of the day is for everybody to take five minutes and, and go through and uh, look on the internet at the amazing uh, life story of Jackie Robinson because uh, it's a heck of a lot more than just being the, uh, the person that wrote the color barrier of Major League Baseball. He is a uh, four-sport letterman at UCLA. He uh, lettered in football, baseball, basketball, and track. Uh, he spent more than two years in the U.S. Army. Uh, he played in the Negro Leagues before he uh, broke the color barrier. Uh, truly amazing what he's accomplished. Accomplished uh, even before, uh, even if you take out being the uh, the person who broke the color barrier, he uh, he led a pretty amazing life. So uh, happy 100th birthday to a, a pretty amazing individual. So uh, take some time and go read up on him because it's a pretty amazing story. Well said, Biz. Are you going to be at Carver Hawkeye Arena tomorrow night? I am not. I always forget that uh, they have these. Th- Bizarre Friday games, and so uh, we had committed to go to a uh, a North Liberty uh, event. Uh, they have a they're supposed to have a, a Beat the Bitter outdoor concert or a concert in an igloo, but uh, 
apparently they failed to beat the bidder, and the bidder won because they they moved the event indoors. But uh, we were attending that with some friends. But uh, fortunately, it doesn't start till till eight o'clock. So we will be watching the Hawks at a bar beforehand, and then heading over for uh, 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 some some musical shenanigans. So. So the Hawks will have to do it without me this week, Trent. Well, we will see if they can do better than a week ago. Biz, we will talk next week. Go Hawks. All right, go Hawks.